Hello and welcome to FX Talk, an eBrew podcast all about the foreign exchange market, where we break down some of the main news headlines in financial markets and give our take on what these developments might mean for the world of FX. My name is Matthew Ryan, Head of Market Strategy here at eBrew, and I'm joined as always on the podcast by two of my colleagues, our Chief Risk Officer Enrique Diaz-Alvarez and Senior Market Analyst Roman Zuruk. Welcome back, everyone, to the final episode of FX Talk of 2023. Uh, now, what we usually do around this time of year is we look ahead at what to expect in markets in the coming 12 months. Uh, but we're going to save that discussion for our first episode in January and instead focus today on what's been a very eventful period in markets since our last episode, before we discuss some of the big surprises that we've seen uh, in the FX market so far this year. And now, undoubtedly, the main talking point since our last episode, at least, has been last week's resoundingly dovish set of communications from the Federal Reserve. The Fed surprisingly indicated that it saw a rather aggressive pace of US rate cuts in 2024. FMC Chair Powell said that progress had been made on US inflation, that growth had slowed sharply since the last meeting, while also that no discussions had yet been had. Sorry, I should say that discussions have already started um, on the possibility of lower US rates. Uh, the dot plot of rate projections was also revised lower. The median dot for 2024 suggests that Fed members see US rates falling to 4.6% next year, down from 5.1% seen in September. That's 75 basis points of cuts uh, in the coming 12 months. Markets ran with a narrative that cuts were both imminent and would take place at a rapid pace next year, with futures quick to almost fully price in the first cut in March, and a total of 150 basis points of cuts through the end of 2024. This triggered a sharp sell-off in the dollar, which ended the week almost 2% lower against its major peers. So what do we make of this dovish term from the Fed? Does it change your view on US policy easing next year? And I'm um, are markets right to start bracing for a March rate cut? What do you guys think? Well, I think yes and no. Yes, it does change my view on what to expect from the Fed next year. Uh, how could it not? I mean, the uh, revision done in the dot plot was pretty aggressive from one cut expected by the median four, uh, member of the FOMC to three cuts uh, by two th- year in 2024. I still think that the first cut by March is it's really a bit much. Um Unless we continue to get serious downward surprises in inflation, which we have not received for at least the last two months in in the U.S., it's hard for me to see how the Fed justifies a cut in March uh, when presumably inflation will still be way above the federal uh, the, the the Fed target, the annualized inflation, and probably uh, core inflation over the the next three months is. I would I would be surprised if it came out lower than three to four percent. I think that the Fed has the, the, has has made surprisingly fast progress in bringing inflation down for core inflation. When I say inflation, unless I I I say otherwise, I mean core inflation, which is the most predictive and the most important for the Fed. It's done. A, the Fed has done a tremendous job of bringing it down from above 6% to the current rates, which are somewhere between 35 and 4% over the last three months. Uh, very impressive that it managed to do so without really any significant deterioration on the labor market, let alone a recession. 
but I think that uh, the next, the last mile of bringing inflation down to two percent from current levels is going to be a lot harder. Uh, and I don't think there's going to be sufficient progress made by the March meeting to justify a cut. So clearly the Fed is more dovish than I thought it was uh, two weeks ago. But I still think that the first cut, we don't see it until uh, May at the earliest, possibly June. I was also quite surprised uh, at this uh, dovish turn from the Fed. Uh, I was thinking that it may happen, but then we had the non-farm payroll data released and it was quite strong. And this started, uh, after this, I started to doubt my earlier position. But right now, um, I think that we have all of the indications that the cuts are going to start in the first half of 2024, uh, as, as I expected. Uh, and uh, I don't think that the market pricing is entirely unreasonable. Uh, although I'm hesitant to say whether we are going to likely get cuts in March or, or May, uh, I would be surprised if we were to wait uh, until June because I, I see some easing in the labor market. Most of the indicators signal that, that something is, is giving there. Uh, we also uh, are likely going to see uh, easing in the uh, growth rate of the real economy. Third quarter was very impressive, but fourth quarter will uh, probably not be a repeat of that. And then the first half of 2024 will probably only confirm this trend of slowing U.S. economy. Uh, and if the decision makers see it, I think they will be encouraged to uh, move towards rate cuts uh, relatively uh, early in 2024. Uh, there is a question of uh, whether they are going to do it in, in March, May or June right now. Uh, May uh, would probably be uh, an, an optimal time frame from my point of view. But at the same time, May is the meeting where we don't get the dot plot and all the macroeconomic projections, etc. So and that's why I think there is more emphasis on, on either March or, or June. Uh, but I don't think that uh, they're going to, to wait uh, for June uh, with that. And uh, yeah, it's it's quite interesting because we see a, a lot of the contrast from many central from from the Fed and uh, many other central banks right now, where the Fed is uh, the dovish one, uh, other ones are uh, hawkish, other ones in the G3. Uh, where when looking at the data, it probably uh, should be uh, the other way around. Yes, well, I, I, I sort of agree with some of your comments there. I mean, I, I think this is probably a, a pretty bold call, and I'm definitely in the minority, but I think the the Fed actually made a bit of a mess of its December communications. For the the dot plot to only show three cuts in 2024, but for Powell not to push back against market pricing after the market was already eyeing a much more aggressive pace of cuts than indicated in the dot plot, uh, that was a bit of a strange run for me. Um, I would have expected a far more balanced tone, whereby maybe we see three cuts in the dot plot, that's fine, but for Powell to strike maybe a slightly more hawkish tone in his, his communications um, because at the moment the market sees the first rate cut in March clearly that's not consistent with three cuts throughout 2024 um, and look I, I might end up eating humble pie in a few months but I think I agree with you Enrique I think March is still too soon for the first cut um, indeed we've seen a bit of a, for, a, a bit of a forceful pushback on market pricing from quite a few Fed members since the meeting um, which to me would suggest a couple of things. Things First of all, the Fed did not expect the market to react in that way that it did following the December meeting. Uh, and secondly, that a March cut is not necessarily in play as things stand, um, unless the data dictates that it is. 
Uh, I still think we'll have to wait until either May or June, um, albeit given that once they, the Fed does decide to cut, start cutting rates, I, I think we'll probably see quite an aggressive pace um, of easing after that. I mean, that I would. The most remarkable aspect, I think, is what Roman brought up: that the economic area, major economic area, were uh, with the most buoyant economy and also a the biggest fiscal deficit. Actually, has the most obvious federal, uh, the, the most obvious central bank. Um, there's, there's, there's something. There's, there's a serious contradiction there between having a hawkish ECB and Bank of England. Uh, when economies are struggling to to grow, and a dovish uh, Federal Reserve, um, something is is out of out of whack there. Absolutely, particularly when we look at all the latest data out of the US. Mm-hmm. Yes, we're seeing a little bit of a slowdown relative to the third quarter, but the data is still still pretty good. Still, we're still looking at two two and a half percent annualized growth in the fourth quarter. Uh, you talked about the easing of the labour market, Roman. I don't think we've seen too much data that would suggest it's anything more than a, a, a quite modest calling in, in the jobs market. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I still think March is too soon. Um, but but we'll, we'll see in the next, the next few months of data, the next couple of months of data is going to be absolutely key in that regard. Uh, great, let's move on to our second main topic. And in rather sharp contrast to that of the Fed, both the Bank of England and the European Central Bank held the line during their December communications despite the clear easing in rates of inflation in both the UK and the Eurozone. The Bank of England remained hawkish, saying that further hikes could be coming if inflation remained persistent, and it once again voted 6-3 in favour of no change in rates, with three members in favour of an immediate rate hike, just as they were in November. The tone of the ECB's communications were also noticeably more hawkish than expected. President Lagarde said that progress had been made on inflation, but the discussions had not yet been had on interest rate cuts, unlike the Fed. This clear divergence in communications between the Fed on the one hand and the Bank of England and the European Central Bank on the other led to some pretty wild gyrations in currencies last week. Uh, Sterling at one stage rallied towards the 128 level on the dollar before retreating, with euro dollar at the time of this recording now hovering just shy of the 110 level, which is around its highest level since late November. Uh, so what do we make of this divergence in, in communications? Uh, were you surprised, uh, as surprised as the markets, by these contrasting uh, contrasting communications? I was surprised. The, to be honest, the origin of my surprise is in the, uh, the dovish pivot, uh, the pivot towards, cut that, uh, towards rate cuts that the Federal Reserve uh, executed. Um, the uh, the hawkishness of the ECB and the Bank of England, which is relative hawkishness, is just about pushback against the uh, the timing of market cut uh, of, of rate cuts. While both of them acknowledge that uh, there'll be no further hikes, so it's, it's a relative level of dovish of hawkishness, not an absolute level of hawkishness. Didn't surprise me as much. Uh, it is clear that the disinflation trend in the Europe. And in particular, in the UK, is is outpacing expectations both mine and the central bank. We had a massive, another massive downward surprise in inflation relative to expectations today in the UK, uh, which uh, leads me to believe that we are going to see uh, some more dovish communications coming from 
from both the ECB and the Bank of England soon. I think that gap in attitudes on the central bank is going to get close in both directions. I think the Fed is already pushing back against this uh, expectations for a March cut. And I think we're soon going to see Bank of England and European Central Bank officials uh, sending a more dovish note and sending that maybe cuts are, are uh, closer in time than the, the respective central banks communicated in December. I would definitely agree that uh, the central banks sh should probably uh, get more aligned. And actually, after the Fed, uh, after the dovish turn from the Fed, and after a dovish Swiss national bank, I was thinking that perhaps we get a, a coordinated turns from all of the major central banks. But the, this did not materialize, as we uh, well know, uh, after the ECB meeting and the Bank of England meeting. Uh, with the ECB, I think that they are increasingly behind the curve, uh, knowing where the uh, economy uh, of the Eurozone is right now. And uh, mind you, uh, most data that we get uh, are lagging. Uh, I think that they should already probably be thinking about cutting rates, uh, not uh, suggesting, uh, not sending the market a, a hawkish message. Uh, so particularly that after the ECB meeting, we get a, a really uh, negative PMI uh, data. We, the composite PMI um, plummeted. Uh, this data right now points to a recession in the Eurozone. So it, it doesn't, it, it is not a good look for the European Central Bank. Uh, with the Bank of England, uh, I, I'm more understanding uh, of their stance. Uh, I think that only recently we started to get some cracks in the labor market, uh, but overall the economy seems to be doing a bit better than, than the Eurozones. Uh, and uh, I think that the pace of uh, rate cuts in the UK uh, should probably be uh, slower uh, than in other major economies, uh, both considering their signaling uh, and also the, the actual situation in the economy. So I don't think that their stance is as unreasonable uh, as the European Central Bank's. Wholeheartedly agree. I think you've taken the words largely out of my mouth there. I mean, I, I'm surprised we didn't get uh, at least a, a, a very mild dovish term from the ECB in particular. Um, clearly, the, the euro area economy is performing very poorly. A recession seems like a dead certainty before the end of the year. And inflation data, more importantly, is coming down quite nicely. Um, as you said, Roman, I think quite rightly, the, the Bank of England is a slightly different story. Um, UK core inflation still remains quite elevated, despite... Um, the, the miss in the November data. Wages are still very high indeed. I think there's more of a reason for the Bank of England to delay rate cuts, even though clearly they are coming at some stage in the next few months. Um, but yeah, even still, I think this divergence that we've seen, as you guys have said, between the Fed on the one hand, Bank of England and ECB on the other, is a, is a pretty difficult one to understand. And um, and we're not the only ones. That clearly, clearly, markets that were, were massively wrong-footed um, as well. Uh, we're going to finish now by discussing uh, some of the biggest surprises in the FX market in 2023. And uh, now, if we look at the year as a whole, the clear outperformer, at least in the G10, that was the Swiss franc, supported by intervention efforts from the Swiss National Bank, followed not too far behind by the pound, uh, which was buoyed by. Uh, both a hawkish Bank of England and uh, better-than-expected data out of the UK economy. <clears throat> At the other end of the spectrum, we have the Japanese yen, which sold off sharply 
amid the ultra-dovish stance adopted by the Bank of Japan. Um, While among emerging markets, Latin American currencies have generally performed very well, notably the likes of the Colombian peso, Mexican peso, supported by very high real interest rates in the region. While by far the worst performer, at least among the currencies that we cover, has been the Turkish lira, which has continued to tumble to fresh record lows, despite the shift towards a more conventional monetary policy stance from the country's central bank. Uh, But what have been the biggest surprises in FX this year? Uh, What we're going to do is we're all going to pick a currency each that has outperformed relative to our expectations and one that has underperformed. Uh, now, perhaps I can start. We're going to start with the outperformers. Uh, and for my uh, my pick, I'm going to go with the Mexican peso. Um, the peso, has, I think, performed surprisingly well this year. We've seen a c- continued rally against the US dollar, despite uh, a lower dependence on commodities than its Latin American peers, uh, a relatively early end to, to you know, central bank interest rate hikes, and a high valuation and real effective exchange rate terms. Um, but clearly, the market has been uh, very encouraged by high real interest rates in Mexico, which I said uh, has supported most of the currencies in the LATAM region this year. Uh, and that has facilitated one of the sharpest rallies uh, among emerging market currencies for the Mexican peso. Uh, but over to you guys, one currency that has performed better than you expected this year and, and, and why has that been the case? The outperformer in my case is clearly the Swiss franc. Uh- I think that I did not expect it to perform as well because maybe I was too anchored in valuation. As anybody who spends any time in Switzerland can attest, um, the 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 Swiss franc always appears to be very very expensive, very very strong. Uh, I think that what I miss is that the Swiss franc tends that the uh, uh, Switzerland is an economy in which there's always a permanent, permanently low inflation, at least permanently a, an inflation differential with its peers that tends to get compensated by an uh, appreciating currency. Uh, nevertheless, that that uh, 7.3% rise against the dollar so far in 2023 was, was very surprising. And, and I'm... I'm Grasping, uh, trying to find an explanation for why the Swiss franc continues to to uh, strengthen so much. Uh, on the downside, I think that the South African rand was probably uh, one emerging market currency that bucked the trend. Emerging market currencies perform generally fairly well, especially the ones in Latin America. South African rand uh, is probably the worst performing of the major ones, definitely of the BRICS currencies. And uh, I think it has a lot to do with very deep-seated political and institutional problems in South Africa, um, that problems that are probably uh, significantly worse than they are in its fellow emerging market economies like Brazil, India, etc. And problems that do not seem to be getting better, and that's that's uh, uh, my best explanation for for why the South African rand performed so poorly in a year where emerging market currencies did quite well. My pick for the best uh, for, for the uh, outperforming currency uh, would also be the the Swiss franc. Uh, I would add uh, some more arguments to why it uh, outperformed. One thing is that uh, it economically outperformed uh, eurozone. The Switzerland economic growth is doing better, and uh, we don't see 
significant issues uh, at present. Of course, there is some slowdown. Uh, of course, the prospects are not as good as they could be. But at the same time, uh, we are not looking at uh, any uh, risk of a, a recession uh, in Switzerland, I think, uh, in, in 2024. And, and things are relatively good in, in that regard. Also, uh, I would look at the other safe haven currencies, uh, such as the Japanese yen uh, and also the US dollar, uh, but particularly the yen. Um, the currency was the one that was uh, least favored by investors among the G10 uh, currencies in uh, 2023. Uh, so naturally, uh, Swiss franc, I think the investors piled into Switzerland, leaving uh, Japan behind. Um, and uh, also, uh, Japanese uh, uh, sorry, the, the, uh, th this comes down to, to, to an extent to a difference in monetary policy between Switzerland and, and Japan, because uh, as we know, uh, the Swiss National Bank uh, stayed uh, hawkish through most of the year. Only recently we are starting to uh, see some uh, dovish turn, uh, which is linked to a significant decline in inflation. Uh, but uh, Japan, uh, on the other hand, they uh, stayed dovish, keeping ne negative rates uh, and uh, not really uh, signaling uh, any any change there. Uh, when it comes to the uh, underperformer, uh, I would uh, consider the uh, Chinese yuan. Uh, well, it's uh, one of the currencies that, that surprised uh, us the most, I think. Uh, well, one, the economic problems, they uh, turned out to be uh, much more chronic in nature uh, than we had hoped for. Um, we had uh, quite a bit of uh, monetary policy easing. At the same time, authorities were generally hesitant, I think, to support the economy in other ways, uh, which led to a disappointment uh, of a lot of investors. And only in recent months did this start to change in any significant manner. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I would think that those issues um, uh, led to the underperformance of, of the Chinese uh, yuan relative to uh, many other currencies and to our expectations. Yeah, CMY is a very good one. I think that would have been my underperformer. Um, as well, I mean, I think aside from from the yuan, one currency that I have, I have been, uh, or that has been a little bit of a disappointment, I think this year has been uh, the Swedish krona. Uh, in fact, the, the Norwegian and Swedish kronas in general uh, have performed uh, quite a bit worse than I expected. Um, second, particular, I think I thought this year would be uh, a pretty good one for the for the Swedish krona. Um, it's a high risk currency; should do well in improving risk sentiment. Uh, the, the Riksbank was expected to be quite hawkish, which indeed um, it was. Um, but Swedish Sweden's growth has been much worse than expected. We've seen heightened concerns over the state of the country's property sector, um, which have more than offset any positive factors. Um, and despite the recent recovery, 2023 has been a, a pretty underwhelming one um, for the Scandinavian currencies in general, which... Um, has been a little bit of a surprise to me, and uh, and those those currencies in general have have underperformed um, quite a bit more than I had anticipated this year. And that's it from us. If you're keen to hear more about our thoughts on the FX market, visit Ebreed's website or follow us on social media. And don't forget to rate and review the podcast on your favourite podcast app. And let us know if there are any topics you'd like to hear more on during upcoming episodes. Keep an eye out for our next episode in a fortnight's time. Thank you all very much for listening. <laughs>